Now, one of the things that comes through this whole thing is deliverance. I'm not talking about the old movie. I'm talking about the kind of thing that happens when you're in bondage or in a bad situation and when you're released from that, when you're freed from that. So uh, as, as uh, one other further caveat, I'm not going to spend a lot of time asking you or in trying to get you to uh, sort out whether the story from Exodus happened as history. Uh, one of the people I spend time with on Thursday afternoons has done an archaeological study or looked to those. They can't find any evidence that the people of Israel went out into the Sinai. But this is a very precious story to the Jewish people, and so we, we will spend some time looking at this part of Exodus. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his officials, in order that I may show these signs of mine among them, and that you may tell your children and your grandchildren how I made, have made fools of the Egyptians and what signs I have done among them, so that you may know that I am the Lord. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, how long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go, so that they may worship me. For if you refuse to let my people go tomorrow, I will bring locusts into your country. They shall cover the surface of the land, so that no one will be able to see the land. They shall devour the last remnant left you after the hail, and they shall devour every tree of yours that grows in the field. They shall fill your houses and the houses of all your officials and all the Egyptians, something that neither your parents nor your grandparents have seen. For the day they come on earth to this day. Then he turned and went out from the Pharaoh. And Pharaoh's officials said to him, How long shall this fellow be a snare to us? You know, they're getting irritated with him. Let the people go so that they may worship the Lord their God so that they... They, do you not yet understand that Egypt is ruined? So Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh, and he said to them, Go worship the Lord your God. But which ones are you to go? Moses said, We will go with our young and our old. We will go with our sons and daughters and with our flocks and herds, because we have the Lord's festival to celebrate. He said to them, The Lord indeed will be with you if ever I let your little ones go with you. Plainly you have some evil purpose in mind. No, never. Your men may go and worship the Lord, but that is what you are asking. And they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. All right. Very good. Now, as we think about deliverance in our own time, in our own situation, you think of what kind of bondage you might be living in, probably come up with a number of things. If you follow the news reports, things like the COVID virus that has swept across the country, across the world indeed, or the financial crisis that has 
precipitated by being out of work because of the, the limitations that the virus has put upon us. But there's also the Black Lives Matter thing, and uh, I'm hearkening back now to one of the canes that I showed the kids a little while ago. In 1948, my oldest sister went off to college and she met and brought home to our home, a farm about 40 miles away from Iowa State, a young mission-educated Nigerian chap, Benson Akpan Udo. And he adopted our farm as kind of his American home. My folks adopted him to the point where they told him, Ben, if you ever get married in this country, we'll give you a wedding just like any of the rest of the kids. And later, he mail-ordered a bride from Nigeria, and, and we did the wedding. I stood up with him, and my sister stood on the other side. But part of my motivation for bringing this staff, this cane, to, to church is in relationship to the Black Lives Matter kind of thing. When Ben was at our farm before he, well, he'd just gotten his, his PhD from Michigan State. Now he's gonna go down and teach in Fort Valley, Georgia. He filled his car with everything he thought he would need other than some food and some gas. Why? Because this young guy that I had shared my bedroom with for years didn't want to suffer the ignominy that would be visited upon him by white faces like mine and yours, many of you, because of the kind of racism that was so prevalent, prevalent in American society then and still is around today. So as we look at something as beautiful as that cane, we think of a beautiful soul who was very much in bondage to that unseen thing we call racism. Each of us, as we go through life, will have different kind of challenges that'll come our way. One that's from very far away, I'm gonna share with you three stories. The, one, the first one is a short one from very far away. It's a story that comes from the mission field and there was a couple over in uh, the, the peninsula of India, up in Pakistan, part of it. And the story goes like this. Frank and I were living in Pakistan many years ago, and our six-month-old baby died. An old Punjabi who heard of our grief came to comfort us. A tragedy like this is similar to being plunged into boiling water. If you are an egg, your affliction will make you hard-boiled and unresponsive. If you are a potato, you will emerge soft and pliable, resilient and adaptable. It may sound funny to God, but this former missionary says, there have been times when I have prayed, oh Lord, let me be a potato. The next story I share is from a Viennese doctor, 
I met him while he was visiting at my seminary in Dallas at SMU. And the story that he wrote up and I would share with you is from the experience that he suffered through during the Second World War. When Jewish psychiatrist Viktor Frankl was arrested by the Nazis in World War II, he was stripped of everything, all of his property, everything, his possessions. He had spent years researching and writing a book on the importance of finding meaning in life and concepts that later would be known as logotherapy. One word, logotherapy. When he arrived in Auschwitz, the famous, infamous death camp, even his manuscript, which he'd written, written and hidden in the lining of his coat, was taken from you. He said, I had to undergo and overcome the loss of my spiritual child. Now it seemed as if nothing and no one would survive me. His wife was gone, everybody else. Neither a physical nor a spiritual child of my own. I found myself confronted with the question of whether under such circumstances my life was ultimately void of any meaning. He was still wrestling with that question a few days later when the Nazis forced the prisoners to give up their clothes. He went on to say, I had to surrender my clothes and in turn inherited the worn out rags of an inmate who had been sent to the gas chamber. Instead of the many pages of my manuscript, I found in the pocket of the newly acquired coat a single page torn out of a Hebrew prayer book which contained the main Jewish prayer, Shema Israel. They're having their big festival, New Year's right now. That unpacks to say, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one God, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. He goes on to say, how should I have interpreted such a coincidence other than as a challenge to live my thoughts instead of merely putting them on paper? Later, as Frankel reflected on his ordeal, he wrote in his book, Man's Search for Meaning, which I have a copy of, there is nothing in the world that is, would so effectively help one as to, sur to survive, even when in the worst of conditions, as the knowledge that there is meaning in one's life, he who has a why to live for can bear almost any how. So the support, the deliverance, the kind of prop <clears throat> that helped Viktor Frankl survive that awful circumstance was the meaning that he was able to see in his theory of logotherapy, meaning therapy. The last story I'll tell you is from further back than World War II times. You might consider the story of this one young man. He was often sick as a baby. He was always small and puny, some would say. As a youth, he was always frail and delicate. He was not able to play sports with 
the other boys his age. Eventually, he entered the ministry, but his health was so fragile, he was unable to serve his growing congregation. Amazingly, he did not dwell on his troubles. In fact, his spirits soared. His only real complaint was the poor quality of the hymns of his day. He, he felt they did not convey hope and joy. Someone challenged him to write, write better ones. And so he did. He wrote over 600 hymns, most of them hymns of praise. When his health collapsed completely in 1748, he left one of the most remarkable collections of hymns the world has ever known. His name was Isaac Watts. And one of his most famous hymns is one we'll doubtless sing this next Christmas, Joy to the World. Isaac Watts discovered joy in his life because he knew that God would never desert him. He was able to live his life with all sorts of health problems, feeling close to God and Jesus. He had joy deep in his heart. Now, Watts learned through his frail health what I have come to believe in my 50 years of ministry. Preaching can fill your head. Music fills your heart. It tends to be heart-level spiritual stuff that will be your final deliverance in this world. Now, how do you sort these whole things out? Let me give you one little quick and easy rule of thumb. A minister who used to, was retired from Birmingham first over here on 15 Mile, name was G. Ernie Thomas. And uh, he had previous to taking that preaching assignment, been down on our board of discipleship down in Nashville, and he made a flip chart for teaching uh, new member classes. So as I was in charge of that kind of thing in my first starting ministry in Royal Oak, I used his flip chart, and there was something on there I've never forgotten. He said, belief is something you hold. Faith is something that holds you. So whether it's a staff, whether it's meaning, whether it's a voice that you have come to find it reassuring and blessing in blessing you in all of those various ways, you have the possibility of calling upon God for the deliverance that you need.